fragile. What was this? What was going on? From above, they heard a single voice say, Now. Now. Setting off an explosion is an extremely difficult thing to do if what you desire is a controlled explosion. There are just so many variables and considerations that have to be factored in. But that's only if you wish for a controlled explosion. If all you want from your explosion is to kill and maim as many people as possible, then things get much, much simpler. From almost the moment immediately following Cassandra's declaration that it's time, the outliers have been hard at work combing the city for materials they needed. And then, boom. The killers had a moment to look down as the city trembled underfoot. And then the city was no longer underfoot, and the air was made of fire and filled with iron and glass and rock and blood. after the bombs went off, other parties came from the Grey's Keep to investigate the explosion. These were picked off either from a distance or from close behind, and after enough people failed to check in, the gates were sealed and no one was allowed to leave the keep until a more measured plan could be developed. The parents of the killers amassed at the gates. They'd heard the explosions, and they knew that something Something new had gone wrong anyway, as none of the parents could recall anything going right after they'd allowed their young ones to enlist in the attack squadrons assembled by the man McRae second in command, the woman Betsy Overby. Since then, things had been trending towards disaster, but they had to believe that there was still a way back, wasn't there? Surely they still had time to fix this, didn't they? And so they waited in a silent mass. Cassandra was the first on the scene as soon as the smoke had cleared enough to meet the narrowest possible definition of safe. Even still, she wore a shirt over her mouth, and the others that tailed her followed in this example. She picked her way through the ruins, not even sure what she was looking for. Proof that it had worked, perhaps. Proof that it had been worth it, maybe. It was not hard to find the killers. They were everywhere. The dust and debris rendered red blood black, as if it had been earth itself that Cassandra and the outliers had wounded. The white of split bones stood in 
boy among the wreckage who was still alive, though his insides were mostly out and a long strip of scalp hung loose from his skull. Cassandra knelt by his side and tried to remember that this was her enemy, that this was a killer. One hand still clutched his weapon, a sickle with ornate symbols printed on the shimmering silver of the blade. But even as she thought this, the blade fell from the boy's hand. His eyes went to the blade on the ground, as if he could not connect the fallen object with the weight that had been in his hand. He turned to Cassandra, and in his eyes was the most profound confusion she had ever seen. Then his eyes held nothing except the gathering dust. Cassandra closed the boy's eyes and stood. A message had been sent, and a lesson had been learned. Cassandra called Rita Patel, the woman Cassandra loved. Cassandra, there's someone from the Gray's place with the white flag Cassandra marched from that place of death, dust and dirt flying coursing from her as she walked. She could feel the filth, feel that place still clinging to her skin as she went. She figured there was a good chance that she would feel this forever. A well-dressed man Cassandra did not know was waiting with the white flag, flanked on either side by outliers wielding nail-studded your father sent me, he said to Cassandra. He thought I'd be the best person to speak with you. Cassandra snorted. The best person to speak with me would be someone smart enough to know not to open with talk about my goddamn father. Now what do you want? The man looked at his guards, visibly uncomfortable. Could you ask these fine fellows to stand back just a little? No. I'll ask you once more. What do you want? The well-dressed man straightened up. A small group of our youngsters left Miss Negre's domain for a little of a walkabout. And given the recent, um, explosive episode, we were wondering if it would be possible to suspend the current hostilities between our peoples until we could... <laughs> ascertain the safety of these youths. There's no need, Cassandra said. No need for what? No need to suspend the current hostilities. I can tell you where your children are. And, and where is that? Cassandra gestured to the air. We blew them up. I blew them the fuck up. You've turned children into murderers and sick them on us, and we've had enough. You send us killers, we'll give you back death. Your children lie in pieces, and suddenly I find myself unable to give much of a shit.
because I've learned something and you can tell my father exactly what it is. This has to stop. This has to end. I put up with his bullshit for my entire life. And when I didn't want to put up with it anymore, I ran. I am not running anymore. None of us are. We are going to fight. And we are not going to stop fighting until the disease that is the Mammoth Ray has been purged off the face of this fucking planet. So you go and you tell him that. Tell him why their children died. And tell them that many more will if that's the only way to end this. I do not pick fights. But I sure as fuck will finish them. And then she turned and walked away. With only Priya Patel allowed to see the tears that formed in the film. Betsy Overby would never be so crass as to say that she was pleased with the recent developments, but she sure could have think it. After the initial exhilaration as the war drums began to bang, the effort had begun to struggle. Recruits were quitting early or declining to sign up at all. Those who remained fought with gusto, but even this number was shrinking as parents dragged their children home and refused to release them back into armed service. Why, just the other day, Betsy Overby had sat on a couch in the apartment of Cliff and Jean Astor, who had shown up at the training facility, a repurposed YMCA, and dragged their son, Charlie, out mid-exercise. It seemed that young Charlie had asked to enlist in an attack squadron, a request his parents had denied. Charlie snuck off and signed up anyway. Now, in the first frothing months of the conflict, no one would have dared breach the irrevocable boundary that separated civilian from soldier. Mr. and Mrs. Astor might have privately mourned the departure of their son into this exciting new phase of his life, but they would have put on a brave face and outwardly broadcast how proud they were of their boy. Because wasn't everyone just so proud to be doing their part? But winds change. Now, Mrs. Astor thought nothing of dragging Charlie home by his ear. When Betsy Overby dropped in, she attempted to remind the Astors that what was needed during times of crisis like this was strong civil commitment and unity behind shared goals. Surely they understood this, didn't they? Surely they wished to do their part, didn't they? He's not going with you, Mr. Astor responded flat. Betsy Overby's smile was immovable. Oh, sure, sure, sure. I understand you want what's best for your son. 
we all want what's best for your son. But I think if we could all just look at the big picture, Mrs. Astor cut her off. He's not going with you. And I've talked to all the other parents in this building. None of us are letting you goblins steal our children anymore. The smile flickered. Oh, sure, sure, sure. But is this what Charlie wants? Do you have the right to deny him the life he wants to live for himself? Mr. Astor leaned forward. You people did your brainwash shit on him. Just like all the other kids. You feed them lies and you get them fixed on power like it's any other drug that comes down with a needle. We promote policies of civil commitment and united behind shared goals. Betsy Overby beamed. I'm sure you can understand the value of fostering such ideals in young people during these trying times. If I could just talk to Charlie, I'm sure we could sort this all out. Now, it was Mr. Astor who smiled. You want to talk to Charlie? Well, come right this way. He showed her to Charlie's room. The boy was bound to the bed, a rag tied around his mouth. He kept trying to run back to you people, Mr. Astor said. So we tied him down. He thought he pissed himself we let him go. But we love him too much. He thought if he shit himself we let him go. But we love him too much. He finally figured out we weren't going to lose patience with his messes, so he tried to hurt us by hurting himself. He started biting on his tongue, he got a whole mouthful of blood for his troubles. So we gagged him, and now he's a bit quieter. This is torture, Betsy Overby said. You made our son ill, Mrs. Astor replied. We are working on curing him. You have a good day now, Miss Overby. Betsy Overby had spent the following days trying to counter the narrative she saw depicted in that apartment. That of a people already fed up with an entrenched war effort and packing in whatever support they might once have felt. But it was everywhere. The depressive atmosphere began to permeate all throughout her days and her jobs. Small rooms felt oppressively tight Large rooms seemed to echo with emptiness. But this massacre, terrible shame though it was, of course, was the answer to all her prayers. She would whip the people up into an even greater frenzy this time. Hell, this time, the parents themselves would be tearing their way through the gate so they might rip any outlier they found apart limb from limb. She manufactured a war out of nothing. She turned a beloved guardian figure, head security officer Mustafa, into a pariah that non-immigrants keep ever want to see or speak of again, and she done that with nothing too. With a dozen kids dead and an unrepentant Cassandra publicly behind it? Well, she would never be so crass as to say that she was pleased 
with what had happened. But on her own, in the dark, she could offer thanks up to the death god whose eye formed the black sun and whose will she followed without question. Now, the war effort would enter overdrive. Now, there would be no stopping it. them to attend some rallies and get the populace's blood pressure going again. All refused her. While visiting the last couple, Mark and Diana Leonard, she finally lost her reserve. These people killed your son, she cried. We had the means to get the justice you deserve, but we need you to help us get it. Diana Leonard stared her down. Our son didn't die in that explosion. He died the first time he set foot in that fucking gym of yours and signed up to be a murderer. A murderer like you. Betsy Overbive had become very Frustrated, the squads expunged excess energy and anger while still within the confines of the Man McRae's keep, picking fights with the unenlisted, destroying property, being general nuisances to the public order. Some of the public even began to murmur that they wished Mustafa would return and restore the old peace. It was with all this brewing over her that she sat down for her weekly meeting with the Man McRae. Look like himself. The man McRae that she knew 
that she loved in the twisted way that she conceived love, that man had a regal bearing that was close to godliness. And was he not godly? Was he not second to none other besides the death god whose eye formed the black sun above the city? She served the death god, but here was one of the divine that she could touch and smell whose company she could share. And like a god, he had reached out his hand to raise her from the ashes and into this new, glorious life. Even the hideous mutilation to Madame Grace's face did not dissuade her further. If anything, it made him seem even further removed from humanity, even more the godly, powerful being. But today, he did not look regal. The man McRae slumped in an armchair, all but swallowed by his bathroom. He looked shriveled and sad and old. He did not look at Betsy Overby as she ran the latest trading numbers with the key. After she finished, he held his silence for a long moment. At last, he said, So... It is ending. Oh, no, 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 no. Betsy Overby hurried to correct. This is a rough moment, sure. We can admit that, sure. But once we finish with the outliers, the whole city will belong to you, and you'll be able to provide for your people just as you always have in the past. Just have a little patience. And just a dab of faith, and we'll see each other through this. I, I had thought, I really thought she would come back to me. Betsy Overby blinked. Who? Cassandra! He snapped. Oh, sure, yes, sure. Your hmm, progeny, I believe she has made it clear that she intends to continue lying in the bed she made. I see no reason for you to overtax yourself worrying about someone who has been so remarkably ungrateful. Now he looked at her. You are loyal, Betsy. This time, the smile on her face was honest. It felt like a stranger. Her lips almost hesitated to part, but the joy flowing through her forced them open. I... Yes, yes I am. What if you were wrong to be so loyal? I'm sorry? What if I've been wrong all this time? What if none of this had to happen this way? This could not be happening. She could not allow this to be happening. She went to him and soothed him like a mother coaxing an upset child back into bed. Everything you have done Everything 
has been exactly what you needed to do. I know it. Our Lord knows it. That's why he chose you. That's why you found me. Don't falter now because it's dark before the dawn. Patience. Faith. The man in the gray patted her hand and lapsed back into troubled silence. Eventually, Betsy Overby took the hint and left him to his brooding. As she walked away, a trigger thought stole over her. Was it possible that they had gone too far? All of them, the man the gray, the woman Cassandra, herself, the people of the keep, people of the outliers, would it not be wiser to try and walk things back, to mourn the dead, but sanctify the living while they still lived? The traitor thought died. She could never be forgiven. And she would never forgive. Had they gone too far? No. Betsy Overby step quickened. She had people to talk to. There were proposals she had heard early in the day that she dismissed as being beyond what even the man McRae was willing to do. But if his faith was teetering, then it was up to her to compensate and bring him back to the light. Had they gone too far? No. They hadn't gone nearly far enough. Hi everyone, thanks for listening to another episode of Black Sun Dispatches, part of the Cinepunks Podcast Network. My name is Brent Foley, and I write, produce, and perform the show. My apologies for this one being delayed, um, it's supposed to come out the last week of July, uh, but life got in the way of meeting that deadline, and then, um, after the events of El Paso and the other mass shooting within the same 24 hours, uh, it didn't really seem right to do an episode about, uh, the sober aftermath of a bloody massacre fun entertainment it still doesn't totally feel right to do um, but it's just the world we live in I guess Um, but anyway I hope you guys enjoyed this episode Uh, hope you tune in for the next one Uh, if you do enjoy the show if you don't enjoy the show uh, please listen to other Cinepunks programming including the Cinepunks podcast Loud Fast Philly The Mandate uh, Horror Business Alpha Flight Marvel Horror Comics Podcast by my buddy Trey. Uh, these are all great, great podcasts that you should absolutely listen to. Uh, and if you look at this podcast, there's a ton of great writing to be found at cinepunks.com, uh, all of which is, hey, free and easy for anyone to read or listen to. Um, so you'll find something that you like, I guarantee it. Um, all Cinepunks programming, writing, and podcasts is sponsored by Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations. Uh, great website, uh, allows you to design your own clothes. I have some t-shirts from them myself. Uh, I wear them all the time. Uh, so please hit up Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations um, and give them your business. 
If you want to sponsor Blacks and Dispatches or Listen to Punk Programming, please contribute to our Patreon. Uh, we always appreciate it. Uh, just as we appreciate anyone who writes a review for iTunes or helps spread the word via social media and kind of helps get the word out about the show and about some punks in general. Uh, the Black Sun logo, dis- <laughs> the Black Sun Dispatches logo was designed by Jennifer Rogers. The music is Winter by E.L. Heath. Uh, and yeah, so I hope you guys, like I said, I hope you guys enjoy this episode. Uh, the next run of episodes is going to really reshape uh, everything that has ever happened. <laughs> Uh, and it will happen on this podcast uh, so you do not want to miss an episode uh, the next one will hopefully be debut uh, be, the next one the next episode will hopefully drop the last week of August on August 26th uh, so like I said please uh, be there for that one and like I said you do not want to miss any episode uh, well you should never want to skip any of our episodes because let's be real I'm terrific at this um, but even by the standards of this show, the next ones are gonna really gonna reshape uh, the story of Blacks and Dispatches. So uh, please uh, listen in. Um, all right, guys, thank you so much. Bye bye.